Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Fearless Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and I just want to say a big thank you for subscribing to our YouTube channel, to iTunes, listening in. We are so grateful. We are so grateful for the feedback and the comments and what you guys want to hear, and we want to give you more of what you want. So please let us know, and if you want to see this episode live and in color, Please head on over to our YouTube, Fearless Health Podcast, and you can see me there. All right, so we've been asking you guys what you want to hear about, and we've gotten some feedback. And so we will, in the future, be doing episodes on supplements and things that you guys can actually just incorporate and what they're used for, because I think that that's going to be easy. Um, some of the other things is we're going to talk about some of the things that we see in practice that week that are a little bit more usable um, versus so high level on a lot of different topics that we're covering on the channel. Um, so we're definitely going to do that. I've heard that some of the episodes are a little um, overwhelming. And so I'm going to break those down into to some smaller pieces as well and try to go over some of those. So you have some usable take-home tips on that. All right, and you guys have said that you wanted to hear more from me, so you are getting it first today. So um, what I would like to dig into is some usable tips that I send people with, home with in practice that are easy things that you guys can do at home, okay? So the first thing that I wanna dig into is water, okay? We drink water all day and, you know, it's important that your water is clean. I think that we can all agree that we need clean drinking water. We see what happens in third world countries when people don't have clean drinking water. Well, here we sanitize our water, but other things can leak into the water supply. So um, I don't wanna go into the nitty gritty of all of that, but what I will tell you is I live, I don't know, within 20 miles of what used to be a plutonium plant. And, you know, there have been um, speculations that that could have leaked into the water supply, it could be in the water supply, et cetera. And, you know, I was on a mission to get my water tested um, and wanted to make sure that I didn't have any problems. So where I first consulted my municipality to see what they said was in the water um, and making sure that that felt safe to me, even with trace mineral or trace amounts. Um, even if they said, even if the EPA said that it was safe, I really just don't want those trace amounts to build up into my system. That's my preference. Um, and so I did that. I also went to environmentalworkinggroup.org, tap water. And, and I typed that all into a URL. Okay. So, uh, and what they do is you can put in your zip code there and they can tell you what contaminants were found. Um, what contaminants are, you know, they say is safe within EPA levels and what other contaminants were found. And there were actually a few more contaminants that were found on that one. Now, the question is, is that actually coming into my house? Am I being exposed to that? Um, it's very possible. It's, it, so then the next step, um, so we looked at the water filters associated with that and found a good water filtration system that we thought would work. Some of my patients have told me that was a little overwhelming. They didn't know which water filtration system to use um, because they had some strange things come into their water supply. Like, for example, uranium. 
you know, you really just don't want to be drinking uranium for 20, 30 years. I mean, I think that we can all agree to that. Um, you might go in the dark later on. Um, so um, another way to broach potentially what's in your water is you can take a sample and you can send it into tap score. You can contact tap score. They send you something and you can send it back into them and they will tell you exactly what filters will filter out what in your water supply. And so I think that that's a really good resource to know what is in your water and it, it gives you control and it gives you peace of mind to know that you are doing what you can to filter those things out. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I think is really important in practice is to make sure that the quality of your meat is good. Okay? Um, you really want to be eating grass-fed, grass-finished beef, for example. And the reason for that is, you know, for a variety of reasons, but for number one, omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, right? So omega-3s and omega-6 should be into balance. Um, there have been studies that have said it is omega-3s 1 to 20, 1 to 25, omega-3 to omega-6. And so that creates a pro-inflammatory cycle or inflammation in your body. And what that basically means is that you could hurt more, it could spin up, you know, some sort of autoimmune disease. It's just not great, right? And in beef, for example, are meant to live on grass, right? And when they are grain finished or they are fed grains the whole time, they tend to be on antibiotics. And then that gets transferred into your system. So it is really, really good for you to eat grass-fed, grass-finished beef, okay? And there are, you know, I still get comments that, hey, I need to um, not eat so much, so much beef because of X, Y, Z on lab work. It's too much fat, my cholesterol, this and that and the other thing. More so what the problem is, the quality of the beef and also the fact that you're probably eating more grains than you should be eating. And so I think that that's a really important point. So that brings me to cholesterol, which is um, definitely, I have a lot of comments about cholesterol, but people are on their cholesterol. And the bottom line is, is that a lot of times cholesterol is elevated based on other things going on in your system. So how I look at cholesterol in practice is that means that something else is going on in the system if it's really high, right? So lowering cholesterol is, is kind of, to me, the equivalent of there's a car accident and traffic is backed up and the emergency vehicles are on the scene and everything is closed down to one lane. And so anyway, when you get up to the accident, you start yelling at the emergency vehicles, you know, the ambulance, the fire truck, the police officers, and you know, your fist is out the window and you're saying, you know what guys, you are wrecking my day. You emergency vehicles, you're wrecking my day. You're, you're kind of putting sure or, or looking at potentially the wrong thing. And so it's what's the cause, the reason that those emergency vehicles are there 
is because of what? The car accident. So what is causing the cholesterol to rise? You know, are you eating too many grains in your diet? What else do you have that is pro-inflammatory? What does your thyroid look like? Do you have autoimmune markers to your thyroid? It is just a reaction to something else generally that's going on in your body. And you certainly do not want your cholesterol to be low because guess what? That runs all of your hormones and, and it's really important for your brain. And so you want those levels to be okay, right? And so we don't want to go artificially lowering those levels so, so low. So it's like, what is the cause of the cholesterol being high? Let's address that cause and then let's take a look back to see, you know, how things look, right? So that's a whole rant in itself. And we'll get into, you know, the different cholesterol markers eventually, and we will touch base on that. But that's just a little bit of an overview for that. The next thing that I think is really important is organic fruits and vegetables. We really want to limit the amount of pesticides that we are taking into our system. Why? Pesticides make us fat. They're endocrine disruptors. They create all kinds of problems in our body, especially if our detox pathways get jammed up. And a common question that I get asked is, well, I cannot afford to feed a family of five completely organic foods. I just can't, I can't do it. It's not in the budget. It doesn't make sense. Um, and so in that situation, I really recommend heading on over to the environmental working group and double checking to see, okay, what are the, you know, clean foods if I were to eat them conventionally and what are the dirty dozen? And you can make a choice like, okay, I buy these foods to be organic and because they tend to have higher pesticide content and these foods to be conventionally grown because they tend to be safer or they have a peel that I can peel off and then I can eat, you know, the fruit on the inside, right? And so I think that that's how you can make the decision if it's a little bit more expensive to do that, all right? And the next thing that I, I, I see in practice quite a bit are people are reacting to foods and they're not sure what they're reacting to. In fact, the number one comment people come in is, I don't know what to eat. I don't know how much of it to eat. And, and to be honest with you, I will see people do amazingly well on keto or amazingly terrible on keto. I don't think there is one diet plan that works for everybody. And we certainly don't want your diet to be restricted, super restricted long-term, right? Because we want to um, have some variety in our diet. We don't want you eating the same five foods all the time, okay? Because we really need, you know, some diversity in our gut microbiome. So, so what I recommend doing is for one month, I have people do the elimination diet, my elimination diet. Now my elimination diet, I recommend people eat protein, fruits, and vegetables, right? Um, for the most part, um, I will pull out tomatoes, potatoes, corn, grains, dairy, uh, a lot of the time in, in processed sugars, uh, primarily. And so what I like to see them do is eat protein, fruits, and vegetables, um, ideally organic. And then at the end of those 30 days, I like to see how they're feeling. Okay. How do you feel? Do you feel any different? Um, 
the big ones that people have the hardest, hardest time with alcohol. I pull people off peanut butter, right? They can have almond butter or something like that. I pull people off peanuts, um, but I will allow them to have, um, I will allow them to have almonds, sunflower seeds, you know, cashews, etc. Um, and and I, I will pull them completely off of sugar. And there tends to be a detoxification period that happens as well as dairy. And the number one question I get asked when I know that there is a food sensitivity issue is what do I eat? Okay. And I want to be super clear here because a food sensitivity issue is not a food allergy. We are not talking about hives. We are talking about more low grade symptoms like bloating, constipation, real severe gas, itchy skin, you know, so it tends foggy brain. It tends to be much more mild symptoms. I am not talking about situations where people are erupting into hives. So I think personally, you know, for a reference point, I think the whole 30 is a good idea of something to follow. And there are huge groups around that, that will um, be supportive and, and be helpful on, on running that program. And at the end of the 30 days, this is where people get in the most trouble. At the end of the 30 days, yes, you need to, I want to see how, how you feel when you reincorporate food, right? But the reincorporation tends to be the problem. So let's say, you know, okay, we're going to try, you know, whatever food first, uh, potatoes. Okay. We're going to try, you know, white potatoes. Sweet potatoes are fine on my diet, but we're going to try white potatoes. And I'm going to have you try those, you know, for three days to make sure whatever XYZ symptom you had doesn't come back. And then we incorporate the next food and the next food, but you have to slowly incorporate that in, right? So we, we have taken you off of grains and cheese and, um, you know, whatever else and, and tomatoes, and then suddenly you have a pizza. And so, and then you feel terrible. But the question is, what was it? Was it the cheese? Was it, what was the contributing factor? Or was it more than one thing? So it's really important to notice what is causing the upset and to be really strict when you're reincorporating food back into your diet. Um, I also will generally like to do a stool panel because a lot of people have critters. Um, I suspect uh, a lot of times people have GI dysfunction, um, gut dysfunction. Um, it happens more than you would realize. Even if you don't have major, major GI symptoms, you'd be surprised at what you would find on a stool panel. So if you have tons and tons of food sensitivities, you need a stool panel to see what the heck is really going on in there because you should not be reacting to that many foods. And I hear leaky gut over and over again, but what is causing the leaky gut? What was the contributing factor to cause the leaky gut? And generally there's an order to address things in. So that being said, you know, you really want to look at things first. Like you want to look at mold. Okay. Is there anywhere where you could have been exposed to mold? Then you want to say, okay, could there be a parasitic infection? And really you want to check for DNA of parasites. And then you want to step it down after that. And you're looking for bacteria and viruses. And then we're looking for any sort of, you know, dental infection that you could be swallowing, you know, that you are seeing on a, on a stool test. And then we look for candida and yeast, overall digestive function, um, you know, changes in your large intestine that would indicate, hey, we are, 
you need to go get a colonoscopy. We need to check for have you get checked for cancer. And then, you know, leaky gut, as well as inflammation in the large intestine. And so, you know, all of these things are going to contribute, but if we have to clean out the critters first, because those critters are what they're going to release histamine. They are going to create gaps that make you feel like you are food sensitive to everything. And when someone comes in and they say, I want a food sensitivity test, I need to know what foods I'm reacting to. I do not like to run food sensitivity tests first. The reason for that is, is because a lot of times there are gut pathogens in the gut that need to be addressed first before you end up being in a situation where you can eat five foods. So what happens if I run a food sensitivity test before I run a GI panel is people will come back and they can't eat 80 of the foods on there. And that is ridiculous. We cannot have you eating, you know, 25 foods and that's it. That is just not enough diversity, right? So we want to know what the heck is going on in your system and why you're reacting to this many foods. So stool test first, then food sensitivity tests after you've cleaned those things up. I personally believe that the gold standard is an elimination diet. I think an elimination diet is so much better than ultimately a food sensitivity test, but if you're stuck and we're kind of to the end of the protocol, um, I think that you know a, a lot of times I will eventually recommend that because people wanna know. Um, and really at that point, there should be you know, not tons of foods, on that, you know, it just makes me cringe when people are so reactive to so many different things that more is going on in the large intestine. So that is really what I wanted to cover today and what is so important. Um, the other piece that I see be a very big chronic problem in practice is people that don't sweat. Sweating is so important. Please, 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 please sweat. You have to sweat. If you don't sweat, I see people gain weight for no apparent reason. They have aches and pains that are debilitating. They tend to end up having like this surgery and that surgery all the time because you are not able to use your skin as a tertiary organ of elimination. And that is really important for detoxifying all the chemicals that we are coming in contact with. And you can't, you can't live in a bubble. You cannot do that. You, you're going to be exposed to these toxins. I'm just saying, let's do our best to eliminate what we're being exposed to as a general rule. So it, and, and this is not saying, hey, let's, let's not live, okay? But let's do our best to eliminate those toxins. And so ladies, that comes to you. And I think that we need to be really careful about what products we're using on our skin, on our face, you know, as deodorant, you know, what shampoo we're using, like what is actually in there. And a lot of times what we're finding is that there will be endocrine disruptors in there um, that are creating all kinds of problems. And guess what? You can head on over to the environmental working group and you can type in your products and you can ultimately, you can replace those cleaner products that are not going to create problems in your overall system. So really as a general rule, what I like to do when I'm starting and like really figuring out what's going on with the case is eliminating any toxic burden that I can in the system, right? Because we're all exposed. We all, 
we have all had a toxic burden built up. It's just about like how well is our body filtering that out and what can we do to help that? So I think a lot of great tools are on environmentalworkinggroup.org doing a whole 30 or an elimination diet for 30 days and to be really slow with the reincorporation is really, really important. And so I wanted to make sure that you guys had that tool at your disposal to potentially see what you're putting on, putting in your body and have a good idea of how to potentially limit that risk and limit that exposure. So Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us and um, to your health. I'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye.